this much. They were just eating breakfast this morning. Good morning, podcast listeners, and welcome to Dairy Time with David and Mommy. Today we are going to read. David and Holly. Yeah, but I'm Mommy to you. Right? If you're my only son. And it's the best thing in the world that I get to be your mom. Um, I'm going to close this door. Sorry for the interruption. Just almost just vacuuming, Mom. <laughs> yeah, we're very lucky in that we get to have um, yeah. ladies come and clean our house once a month. That was one of them. Yeah, she's vacuuming for us. Super nice. Um, Robert Louis Stevenson's Treasure Island. We are now on chapter four. The sea chest. I lost no time, of course, in telling my mother all that I knew, and perhaps I should have told her long before. And we saw ourselves at once in a difficult and dangerous position. Do you remember what happened last chapters? So, um... They had the inn, and um, Jim Hawkins is our narrator. He's the one who's telling us this story. Honey, please use your fork. Okay. Thank you. Um, Yeah. And um, Black Dog was the pirate who was living in their inn, and um, the so in the last chapter first black dog or not black dog billy bones is the pirate who was living in their inn and black dog came to see him to make sure it was him and then blind pew came and gave him the black spot remember that's a pirate's death sentence and then billy bones as soon as as blind pew left he died. Billy Bones died, so he's dead now. So Jim Hawkins and his mother have uh, Billy Bones' sea chest, which is what the pirates are after. And they're going to be back because they think Billy Bones is still alive, so they're going to be back to try to kill him. He's already dead. They don't know that. <clears throat> Some of the man's money, if he had any, was certainly due to us, but it was not likely that our captain's shipmates above all the two specimens seen by me, Black Dog and the Blind Beggar, would be inclined to give up their booty in payment of the dead man's debts. The captain's order to mount at once and ride for Dr. Livesey would have left my mother alone and unprotected, which was not to be thought of. Indeed, it seemed impossible for either of us to remain much longer in the house. The fall of coals in the kitchen grate, the very tricking of, ticking of the clock, filled us with alarms. The neighborhood to our ears seemed haunted by approaching footsteps, and what between the dead body of the captain on the parlor floor and the thought of that detestable blind beggar hovering near at hand and ready to return, there were moments when, as the saying goes, I jumped in my skin for terror. Honey, why are you not using your fork? You're eating eggs. Okay. That's gross. You've got to use your fork. Okay? okay. You can use your hands for your muffin and for your vitamins, but please use your fork for the other thing. Are you even big kid? Yes. That's not how I do if you can use your fork for your bacon, I would like you to try Thank you. 
Something must speedily be resolved upon, and it occurred to us at last to go forth together and seek help in the neighboring hamlet. That's a, like a little mini, a, a little town. No sooner said than done. Bareheaded as we were, we ran out at once in the gathering evening in the frosty fog. The hamlet knit lay not many hundred yards away, though out of view and on the other side of the next cove. And what greatly encouraged me, it was in an opposite direction from that whence the blind man had made his appearance, and whither he had presumably returned. We were not many minutes on the road, though we sometimes stopped to lay hold of each other and hearken. That means to listen. But there were no unusual sounds, nothing but the low wash in the ripple of the ripple of the waves and the croaking of the inmate, inmates of the wood. The, the baby that does the, the back the baby Okay, you may use your finger here, but okay. It was already candlelight when we reached the hamlet, and I shall never forget how much I was cheered to see the yellow shine in doors and windows. But that, as it proved, was the best of the help we were likely to get in that quarter. For you, for you would have thought men would have been ashamed of themselves. No soul would consent to return with us to the Admiral Bembo. The more we told of our troubles, the more man, woman, and child they clung to the shelter of their houses. The name of Captain Flint, though it was strange to me, was well enough known to some there that it carried a great weight of terror. Some men who had been to field work on the far side of the Admiral Benbow remembered besides when we had seen several, to have seen several strangers on the road and taken them to be smugglers to have bolted away. And one at least had seen an, a little lugger in what was called, what we called Kit's Hole. For that matter, anyone who was a comrade of the captain was enough to frighten them to death. And the short and long of the matter was that while we could get several who were willing enough to ride to Dr. Libsey's, which lay in another direction, not one would help us to defend the inn. They say that cowardice is infectious, but then argument is, on the other hand, a great emboldener. So when we had each said, when each had said his say, my mother made them a speech. She would not, she declared, lose money that belonged to her fatherless boy. None of the rest of you dare, she said. Jim and I dare. Back we will go the way we came. And small thanks to you big, hulking, chicken-hearted men. We'll have that chest open if we die for it. And I'll thank you for that bag, Mrs. Crossley, to bring back our lawful money in. Of course, I said I would go with my mother. And of course, they all cried out at our foolhardiness. But even then, not a man would go along with us. All they would do would be to give me a loaded pistol lest we were attacked and to promise to have horses ready saddled in case we were pursued on our return. While, once, while one lad was to ride forward to the doctors in search of armed assistance. My heart was beating finely when we two set forth on the cold night upon this dangerous venture. A full moon was beginning to rise and peered red, redly through the upper edges of the fog. And this increased our haste, for it was plain before we came forth again that all would be as bright as day and our departure exposed to the eyes of any watchers means the moon was going to be bright, so they couldn't, they were going to be seen, they couldn't hide. We slipped along the hedges, noiseless and slipped, and swift, nor did we see or hear anything to increase our terrors, till, to our relief, the door of the Admiral Benbow had closed behind us. I slipped the bolt at once, and we stood and panted for a moment in the dark, alone in the house with the dead captain's body. Then my mother got a candle in the bar, and holding each other's hands, we advanced into the parlor. He lay as we had Love left him. Is a mean dog. Yeah, that's his pirate name. He lay as we had left him, as we had left him, on his back, with his eyes open and one arm stretched out. 
Draw down the blind, Jim, whispered my mother. They might come and watch outside. And now, said she when I had done so, we have to get that key off. And who's to touch it, I should like to know. She gave a kind of, gave a kind of sob as she said the words. I went down on my knees at once. On the floor close to his hand, there was a little round of paper blackened on the one side. I could not doubt that this was the black spot. And taking it up, I found written on the other side in a very good, clear hand, this short message. You have till 10 tonight. We had till 10, mother, said I. And just as I said it, our old clock began striking. The sudden noise startled us shockingly, but the news was good, for it was only six. Now, Jim, she said, that key. Why did they want to get the key? So they can free themselves. So they can open the chest. Because um, Billy Bones had been living with them and not paying them for staying there for a long time. And so his mother wants to get the money that, that he owes them out of the chest. I felt in his pockets, one after the other, a few small coins, a thimble, excuse me, and some thread and big needles, a piece of pigtail tobacco bitten away at the end, and his gully with the crooked handle, a pocket compass, and a tinderbox were all they contained, and I began to despair. A tin... <clears throat> Perhaps it's round his neck, suggested my mother. Overcoming a strong repugnance, I tore open his shirt at the neck, and there, sure enough, hanging on a bit of tarry string, which I cut with his own gully, we found the key. At this triumph, we were filled with hope and hurried upstairs without delay to the little room where he had slept so long and where his box had stood since the day of his arrival. It was like any other seaman's chest on the outside. The initial B burned into the top of it with a hot iron and the corner somewhat smashed and broken by a long, rough usage. Give me the key, said my mother, and though the lock was very stiff, she had turned it and thrown back the lid in a twinkling. A strong smell of tobacco and tar rose from the interior, but nothing was to be seen on the top except a suit of very good clothes, carefully brushed and folded. They had never been worn, my mother said. Under that, the miscellany began. A quadrant, a tin canakin, a several sticks of tobacco, a two brace of very handsome pistols. A brace of pistols, I think that means two pistols. Um, a piece of bar silver, wow, an old Spanish Spanish watch and some other trinkets of little value and mostly of foreign make. A pair of compasses mounted with brass and five or six curious West Indian shells. Are you still hungry? You can have some yogurt. Oh, I don't want yogurt. I want yogurt. Well, you had muffins. You had chocolate chip muffins and bacon this morning. If you're still hungry, you can have some yogurt or some more fruit. I don't want to. Okay, you're probably not hungry yet. Yeah. Look, we're almost done with this. Let's count the paragraphs we have. Um, here, I'll finish this one and then we'll count the rest. I've often wondered since... <clears throat> I've often wondered since why he should have carried about these shells with him in his wandering, guilty, and hunted life. Let's see. One paragraph. Two paragraphs. You can tell when a paragraph starts because the words on the next paragraph are spaced in. It's called an indentation. So one, two, two, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine paragraphs left in the chapter. Should we finish it? I want to finish it.
In the meantime, we had found nothing of value but the silver and the trinkets, and neither of these were in our way. They weren't able to use either of them. Underneath there was an old boat clock, whitened with sea salt in many, harbor, in many a harbor. My mother pulled it up with impatience, and there lay before us the last things in the chest, a bundle tied up in oilcloth and looking like papers, and a canvas bag that gave forth at a touch the jingle of gold. I'll show these roughs that I'm an honest woman, said my mother, and I'll have my dues and not a farthing over. Hold Mrs. Crossley's bag. And she began to count the amount of the captain's score from the sailor's bag into the one that I was holding. It was a long, difficult business, for the coins were of all countries and sizes, doubloons, louis d'or, and guineas, and pieces of eight, and I know not what besides, all shaken together at random. The guineas, too, were about the scarcest, and it was with these only that my mother knew how to make her count. When we were about halfway through, I suddenly put my hand upon her arm, for I had heard in the silent, frosty air a sound that brought my heart to my mouth, the tap, tap, tapping of the blind man's stick upon the frozen road. It drew nearer and nearer, and while we sat holding our breath, then it stuck sharp upon the inn door. And then we could hear the handle being turned and the bolt rattling as the wretched being tried to enter. And then there was a long time of silence, both within and without. At last the tapping recommenced. And to our indescribable joy and gratitude, it died slowly away again until it ceased to be heard. Mother, said I, take the hole and let's be going. For I was sure the bolted door must have seemed suspicious and would bring the whole hornet's nest about our ears. Though how thankful I was that I had bolted it, none could tell who had never met that terrible blind man. But my mother, frightened as she was, would not consent to take a fraction more than was due to her and was obstinately unwilling to be content with less. It was not yet seven, she said, and by a long way she knew her rights and she would have them. And she was still arguing with me when a low whistle sounded a good way off upon the hill. That was enough, more than enough for the both of us. I'll take what I have, she said, jumping to her feet. And I'll take this to square the count, I said, picking up the oilskin packet. The next moment we were both groping downstairs, leaving the candle by the empty chest. And the next we had opened the door and were in full retreat. We had not started a moment too soon. The fog was rapidly dispersing. Already the moon show quite, shone quite clear on the high ground on either side. And it was only in the exact bottom of the dell and round the tavern door that a thin veil still hung unbroken to conceal the first steps of our escape. Far less than halfway down the hamlet, very little beyond the bottom of the hill, we must come forth into the moonlight. Nor was this all, for the sound of several footsteps running already came to our ears. And as we looked back in their direction, the light tossing to and fro and still rapidly advancing showed one of the newcomers carrying a lantern. My dear, said the mother suddenly, take the money and run on. I'm going to faint. This was certainly the end for both of us, I thought. How I cursed the cowardice of the neighbors and how I blamed my poor mother for her honesty and her greed, for her past foolhardiness and present weakness. We were just at the little bridge by good fortune, and I helped her, tottering as she was, to the edge of the bank, where, sure enough, she gave a sigh and fell on my shoulder. I do not know how I found the strength to do it all, and I'm afraid it was roughly done, but I managed to drag her down the bank in a little way under the arch. Farther I could not move, for the bridge was too low to let me do more than crawl below it. So there we had to stay, my mother almost entirely exposed, and both of us 
within earshot of the ear. Within earshot. It means that you can hear what's going on. It means that if you were standing far away from me and we tried to talk to each other, we could still hear each other. Now, uh, we're going to stop reading there for now, okay? The next chapter is called Chapter 5. The the last of the blind man. The last of the blind man. It's a good book, huh? Yeah, it's a really good book. All right, you can say bye, podcast listeners. Bye, podcast listeners. Bye, podcast listeners. <laughs> You're a little tired this morning. Well, uh, maybe we'll read some more later. Yeah.